0: Hi, welcome to New Hope Community Church Online. The sermon you are about to hear was originally given by Pastor Chuck Wilson. New Hope Community Church, to know, to live, and to share Jesus Christ.
1: I need, I need John to come up. Where's John? Uh, to start things off. Here he is. Last week, I talked about healing racial wounds, and uh, you can listen to that, but I also told a shocking story, how I got this a, a shock in the, in the digging in the graveyard, and, and I, we said, was it ghosts, ghost, was it prophet's bones, but I think we finally have the real answer to what this is. John, we're having lunch, and John says, I know what it was, so just tell him what the shock was.
2: Hi, I'd like to introduce myself quickly. Um, my name's John, for those who don't know me. Um, my lovely wife, Joanne, and I have been coming here for a couple weeks now. Um, um, Chuck laws, and I laws, yeah. Chuck and I got together and uh, had some lunch and you know we started out talking about firearms, I mean fa- uh, farm fences, <laughs> um, and we kind of moved on to other things electric, and we were talking about his graveyard experience and you 've got to understand how electric is generated here in the United States. We deal with the alternating current. And the big towers that you see, um, the very high towers, they're thousands and thousands of volts. Now, an alternating current has to return in order to complete the circuit and make all things electric work. So you go from these thousands and thousands of volts to the wires that you see going down along the, the streets on the utility poles. The one that's connected to your house is considered low voltage, okay? That's roughly 220 volts. But if you look above that wire, there's normally two, sometimes three, wires that are running down the road on these poles as well. Well, when you only see two wires, the actual return current is run through the earth, okay? The soil, the ground, it's that literal. There's been stories from electricians that have been called to my attention through my experiences at work where they said, hey, we got a call that a lady's house was energized and we could not figure out how it was being energized. They literally cut the wire that feeds the house. The house was still energized. And they tracked this back through a science project that the, the return through the earth was passing through her house and energizing it. And I gotta believe that that's what he found was a path of electric that is part of the generation system of our electric that gave him a shock. Now, the, the other side of that is, if he got as shocked as he did, that's called a tickle, simply because he lived, okay? <laughs> um, you don't realize how close you are to death by electrocution. And I said, if that be the case, I, I can't believe we're having lunch. <laughs>
1: All right, thanks, Todd. Wow, huh? Well, we all know Nancy's property is dangerous. That's where the men's helping hand cut the tree down that hit me, right? And You know, the guys, they cut the tree down, and it, the branches literally landed on me, all right? So that's a dangerous property for a lot of reasons. So I'm not going to dig in that spot anymore. <laughs> I'm going to take it. So the, the electricity actually travels through the soil. It's crazy, crazy. Uh, Okay, so another shocking story today, another shocking story is we're going to finish the rest of Joshua 22, and the title is Healing Broken Relationships, Joshua 22, 21 to 34. Now, broken relationships, I think this is very appropriate for today, We, we live in divided times, don't we? Very divided times. The USA is fractured 50-50, right down the middle. We are experiencing a cultural, spiritual civil war, really, in our country today. And many blame the president. They say, oh, it's because of the president, and he's blah, 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 and and he's causing all this division and hate. And I, I don't agree with that at all. I think he's exposing it. He, this guy, he has been—he's exposed it. What we've seen is there are strong feelings on both sides of this 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 fence that we we have here. It was already there, it was already there. It's just—and I'm, I'm not defending or saying anything for or against the president. I'm simply saying he is exposing what is going on, what this divide. I believe God is using this pres, our president for this purpose. Because division, now hear me out, division is one of the signs of God's judgment on a country. If you read the Bible, you saw that the tribes ended up splitting 10 and 2. It's, it's a very common judgment in scripture that division is sent among the people. And I think we're seeing that the judgment for sin, the judgment for our national sins, God is, is, is starting to divide us in a very serious way. We have become the divided states of America. Very clear. It's a sign of God's judgment. And I pray that we, the church, I'm talking about the church, has a revival. And, and, that, and then what would hopefully follow would be a national spiritual awakening that would spread outside the church before it's too late. I don't know if you read the articles I sent. I sent two articles about the Civil War. The Civil War, God prepared our country for the great civil war that we experienced. He prepared us for survival, for the great trial that we we're going to go through. He prepared us to survive it. He ensured our survival through revival. Revival. The revival. The first one was right before the Civil War. There was the businessman's revival that broke out in New York City, spread all over the country, but especially in the north. It was a huge revival in the north. The businessman's revival. If you read the articles I sent, you know what I'm talking about. In fact, it did spread even down to the south. Below the Mason-Dixon line, in fact, there was this revival that spread, and there, was, there were certain hymns that were sung in these men's revivals that spread across the country, certain hymns that, that, that rose up, gained popularity. And during the Civil War, after battles, soldiers, the wounded soldiers lying out in the field waiting for rescue or death, they would sing these hymns. And they would sing the same North and South the, the Union and Confederate soldiers were singing. The same hymns together. Because they were both part of this revival. And then during the war, there was revival in the northern camps, but especially in the southern army, there was a massive revival. If you read the article I sent, it was amazing. The list of generals and, and all the different people that were baptized during, during the Civil War. It was a, a big revival that really took hold. Why did it not take hold in the north the same? Maybe because we won and we were prosperous and we didn't need God anymore. The south continued. It just, it kept going. The revival kept going. That's why it's called the Bible Belt today. Because of the revivals during the Civil War, the, the revivals and what happened, it, it's, it's amazing what happened. Uh, in fact, even after the war, so many people came to Christ, it was, that's why I called the Bible Belt. In fact, uh, the, one of my favorite stories of, of what, how the revival touched somebody, Nathan Bedford Forrest. Ring a bell to anybody? one of the great geniuses of the Civil War. He was a, a Confederate uh, officer, and, and he was a military genius, but he also is known for some pretty brutal things, some massacres. He was involved in massacres of, of Union soldiers and especially uh, you know, black soldiers. He was just brutal. And after the war, he helped found the KKK. This is what he did. That's what he's known for. But what most people, it's not talked about, is most people don't know, because we don't talk about it in our media, is that he then became a Christian. And he repented. Radical transformation. And he would go around to the black churches. After the black churches, they would have their service. They would have these picnics afterward every Sunday. He would go to these church black church picnics. And mingle and and, and connect with them spiritually. And I'm sure they had to be scary for them, right? What's he doing here? It's like Saul, Paul, you know. What's he doing here? Book of Acts all over again. He was there to affirm the black Christians. Amazing, amazing story. In fact, he changed so much that uh, the one story was when he... True story, some of his soldiers would come visit him, you know, that tough guy, and they'd come and all tell war stories. But they saw how he changed so much. And one of his soldiers, one time, they were all hanging out, you know, and, and they, one of his soldiers said to him, former soldiers said, you've changed. And he didn't mean it in a good way, right? This guy was still just as bad. And, and he said, you've changed. And <laughs> uh, Forrest grabs a hold of the guy Grabs his coat shakes him and says, "I'm trying to be a good Christian." <laughs> oh, they sat him down, patted him off, you know, brushed him off, you know. But that—that—that's what he. The this is what the guy was like. The guy was probably terrified. You're going to kill him, now, right? But the guy, the guy really had a radical transformation. That's what the revivals did. The revivals helped the United States survive. God's purpose helped us survive. I'm not sure if we will ever be the United States again. But God wants us still to be peacemakers, as Christians. Blessed are the peacemakers. Romans 12:18 says, "If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. If it's possible, <laughs> as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone." Romans 12:18. And this story in Joshua 22 is a great lesson on how to heal our country, I believe, and how to heal broken relationships, broken relationships. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for the worship. We thank you for bringing each of us through many struggles and trials. We thank you for that, Lord. We just pray now that you would speak to us through your word, that your mercy and grace would prepare us for this communion time. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so quick review on the beginning of Joshua 22. Last week we saw that the 12 tribes have now conquered the promised land. They've taken the the land that God commanded them to take, the promise that they've achieved, the, the, the promise. And so here they are, but... Two and a half tribes finally get to go home. They get to go home back over the Jordan because they had already claimed their territory. If you weren't here last week, get the CD, listen to the podcast, YouTube. But they went back and they got they they had already claimed theirs on the other side of the Jordan. So they go back over the Jordan to get their the two and a half tribes get to claim their 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 territory. Okay, but uh, before they go across, they build a big giant altar. Remember. It was just like the altar that was being used by the priests, the tabernacle. But they made it much, much bigger—a big, giant altar before they cross. And the other nine and a half tribes assume that it's apostasy; that they're building a competing altar. They assume that, so they prepare for war. But before they attack, the nine and a half tribes attack the two and a half tribes. They first send Phineas and these leaders to, to confront them for what was going on. Okay, remember last week. So now we come to uh, chapter 22, verse 21, and we'll pick it up from here, the rest of the story. Then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel, The mighty one, God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows. And let Israel know. If this had been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord, to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, or to sacrifice fellowship offerings on it, may the Lord himself call us to account. No! See the explanation point? No, they're really stressing this. We did it for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, You Reubenites and Gadites, you have no share in the Lord, so your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. That is why we said, let us get ready and build an altar, but not for burnt offerings or sacrifices. On the contrary, it is to be a witness between us and you and the generations that follow that we will worship the Lord at his sanctuary with our burnt offerings, sacrifices, and fellowship offerings. Then in the future, your descendants will not be able to say to ours, you have no share in the Lord. And we said... If they ever say this to us or to our descendants, we will answer, Look at the replica of the Lord's altar, which our fathers built, not for burnt offerings, (laughs) you get the point here, and sacrifices, but as a witness between us and you. Far be it from us to rebel against the Lord and turn away from him today by building an altar for burnt offerings, grain offerings, and sacrifices other than the altar of the Lord our God that stands before his tabernacle. When Phineas, the priest, and the leaders of the community, the heads of the clans of the Israelites, heard what Reuben, Gad, and the Manasseh had to say, they were pleased. And Phineas, son of Eleazar the priest, said to Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, Today we know that the Lord is with us because you have not acted unfaithfully to the Lord in this matter. Now you have rescued the Israelites from the Lord's hand. Then Phineas, son of Eleazar the priest, and the leaders returned to Canaan from the meeting with the Reubenites and the Gadites in Gilead and reported to the Israelites. They were glad to hear the report and praise God. And they talked no more about going to war against them to devastate the country where the Reubenites and the Gadites lived. And the Reubenites and the Gadites gave the altar this name, a witness between us that the Lord is God. Whew, the rest of the story Now, it turns out that their motive is okay. Not great, but okay. But it was the wrong method, right? It was the wrong method. They weren't supposed to build another altar. The first altar was commanded by God. And it was at the tabernacle. And it unified the 12 tribes. This one was not God's idea. It was man's idea. Not usually a good idea, right? And they built this big imposing altar, this big giant one, much bigger than the original. And it ended up, not unifying, but dividing the 12 tribes. And we've seen this many times, haven't we? We see it many times in churches. Churches are unified and they're blessed. And then some come, someone comes up, to, come up, comes up with a fleshly idea, <laughs> right? And it ends up dividing the church. Because everybody gets excited about this man-made idea. It's not biblical, but it's a man-made idea. I've seen it many times that uh, a church is is unified and blessed. And then they come up with the idea, let's build a bigger church. God's blessing us. We're doing great. Let's build a bigger church, a bigger building. You ever been part of that? (laughs) No, I'm not saying it's always wrong to do. I'm not. God could lead that way. But often, it's a man-made idea. And it ends up causing a lot of problems. I've been... In these churches where I'm not quite sure it was from God because it ended up so much division, the fighting over every little detail, it stresses out the staff and the pastors. In fact, pastors, after they are part of a building project, they usually don't last the, the year after it finishes. Did you know that? Most, the vast majority, are done. It, it stresses everybody out. They, they pressure the people. I've seen them pressure people to pay for it. Meet with every family in the church. you got to support this. How much are you going to give? It, turning people off, and it ends up damaging and dividing the church. I've seen this happen. I'm not saying everything happens every time, but I've seen it happen a lot. A lot. Bigger, better. Something imposing, right? Also, another warning here is that it's a replica, and replicas are dangerous as Israel's history shows, because usually they end up focusing on the replica, the object, instead of god good example is a serpent on the pole remember moses commanded by god the the, the snakes were biting everybody because of their sin god said commanded the pole to be set up with a bronze serpent which was a picture of jesus dying on the cross he became sin in our place it's a it's a type of that and so he became sin on the cross in our place but over time that serpent's pole they held on to it and it became an idol in israel people started praying to it and, and worshiping it And we see the same thing in history, don't we? We see the same thing today with man-made objects and man-inspired objects in churches where where I've seen people praying to these statues, you know? Instead of, the Bible says pray to God through Jesus Christ, and they're praying to a statue. There's nothing in the Bible. There's one mediator between God and men, the man Jesus Christ. There's one mediator, one bright. Jesus said, pray in my name, in Jesus' name. Whatever you ask for in my name. But that's what happens. These replicas, it causes issues. But anyway, I want to look at today how to, how to avoid, just like they almost had a war, a civil war, how to avoid disasters in our relationships. And if we have a broken relationship, how to heal them. And if you have, in your bulletin, there's an outline, there's an insert, an outline. You can kind of follow along and look at that. But a couple keys jump out at us. As we re- just read this passage, a couple of things really jump out at us. The first one is they confronted the problem. They confronted the perceived sin. They confronted the perceived break here. So often, what do we like to do? Ignore it. Keep the peace, right? Yeah, you know, we, we just hope it goes away. Hope it goes away, but it usually comes back to haunt us, doesn't it? broken relationships. It comes back to the haunt. It's like cancer. What's the key with cancer? You have to deal with it early. Catch it early because the longer you let it go, the bigger it grows and the more damage it causes and it spreads. Very, very important. That's what Hebrews 12.15 is talking about. In Hebrews 12.15, he says, See to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. That bitter root of that bitterness over something that grows up and gets bigger and bigger and takes over becomes a weed and then becomes a tree and becomes damaging very very important deal with it early so they confronted it which is was really important when you have a problem that's a big problem you got to confront it but they also the second thing is they gave them an option they gave them a way out uh, they said, come back across the river and live with us, even though it had to be very inconvenient, right? You're going to have to give up. You're going to have to come live in our house, right? But they gave them an out. And when I, I mentioned last week how I was involved in an inner city ministry for years. We had this great inner city ministry, and it was just tremendous. Uh, but one thing I learned is it, it was a different culture than what I was used to. And in this culture, in the inner city that I was working, they, it was very important for everyone to save face. When I was disciplining a kid, and he got pretty crazy, let me tell you. When I had to discipline somebody, I couldn't put them on the spot. I couldn't back them up against the wall because they, they didn't do well with that. Even if they knew they were wrong and I knew they were wrong, they couldn't admit it if I cornered them. Or embarrass them. I had to be very careful to, to let them save face. Even though they had, I had to discipline them. But I had to do it in a way that would allow them to save face. That wouldn't embarrass them. And we're all like, lot like that, aren't we? It might be more extreme there. But we're all like that. We, to some degree. And it's important to remember that when we're in a conflict. Many relationships don't survive. Because we have a win at all cost mentality. And that's not helpful in conflict. Then they listened. They listened to them. They, they confronted them. They gave them an option, and they listened. Even though their reasoning, even though it came out that their reasoning was wrong, the, ha- the two-and-a-half tribes' reasoning was wrong, they were accusing the nine-and-a-half tribes of an imagined offense, a future imagined offense. They were accusing them of it, right? We know you're going to do this to us. So that's why we're doing this first, right? Even though that, that was the case, they still listened. It's hard to listen, isn't it? <laughs> Especially for husbands. But anyway, we won't go there. Uh, but and, and because they listened, they found out that the motives were okay, even though the thinking was flawed. Even though their thinking was flawed, their motives were okay. And so often we mistake mistakes. Or misunderstandings, and this is important, when someone, there's a mistake someone makes or there's a misunderstanding, so often it's generated by insecurity, problem that's not really there. But if we listen, if we listen, it will be easier for us to endure the offense that we've taken and will allow us to help them work through this and to reassure them no this isn't what this isn't this isn't what I'm saying this isn't what I'm meaning you're taking an old wound and you know pouring rubbing you're rubbing salt in it and it's I'm not coming from there and you can reassure them that that's not what you're coming across and so often we just assume the worst don't we We're great at assuming the worst. But it's very important, instead of assuming the worst, to hope for the best, which is what they were trying, they were trying to avoid a civil war. Very, very important. So they listened, and then, what did they do next? They talked it out. They actually worked it out. They talked it out. So often when we're in conflict, there's three responses. I call it flight, fright, and fight. Fight, just hammer back, right? Right? See a lot of that today, don't we? Or fright, we just freeze up. Don't say anything, just freeze up, fright. Or fight, well, I'm out of here. I'm out of this marriage. I'm out of this friendship. I'm out of this church. I'm out of this job. I'm out of this. I'm I'm gone. And they didn't do that. They they hammered out a solution. It was a win-win, right? They hammered out a solution, win-win. They avoided the civil war. And they were not thrilled about the altar, but they were relieved about the motive. And that's what the key was, because they listened and they talked it out. They were able to work this out. And it's just crazy what we fight about, isn't it? I mean, if you're just newlyweds, you know, remember remember, remember being newlyweds? You know, fighting over the dumbest toothpaste cap and all blah, blah, blah. You know, the dumbest things, right? Crazy. Crazy what our wives... On us about anyway. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But we fight over the dumbest things. Churches split over the craziest things. I mean, I could tell you stories that are shocking. What What was the source of a church split? It's just crazy. Uh, And and the result is wild. I remember in the news a few years ago, there was a church that got in a fight, and they had two pastors, and they were fighting, and the whole church was fighting, and they they split over something really. Insignificant, and they and they what they did is they actually had two pulpits set up front, and they the church had an aisle down the middle, and they both picked the side which pastor side they were on, and they preached at the same time. And it's true. They were both preaching, shouting out, trying to get through. And, people, and one time it got so bad, they must have been picking on each other, shouting back and forth. And this little old lady got up from her chair, went across the aisle, grabbed the pastors by the ear and started pulling them you know, off the, the podium. You know, pulling them off. The police had to come and break it up and send everybody home. It happens. Uh, you'd be shocked. It may not always be that dramatic, but churches split and break up and fall apart. And we've all been, I've been part of it. We've all been part of it, right? Families, family fights are just as dumb. Some of the family fights, you know, it's crazy what breaks up families. So often, it really comes out when parents pass away. I remember one church I was in years ago, and the the guy came to church, one of our church members came to church with a neck brace on. And I'm like, what happened? And he said, you didn't read it in the news yet? I go, no. And it turns out crazy. turns out that the dad passed away, and the two brothers were fighting about everything. They all wanted this, I want that, and this and that. They were fighting over everything. And they even went in the garage, and there were some boards in the garage. And the one brother decides he wanted to take the boards home. They're going to be his. He starts carrying the boards out of the garage. This other brother comes and sees him doing it and says, I want those boards. And they started fighting and in the fight, the one brother grabbed the other one by the neck and started choking him. That's why the guy had the neck brace on. But while he's choking him, he has a heart attack and dies. The guy who was getting choked got arrested. I don't know what it's called, what the charge, you know, it's not murder, but it's one of those lesser things. But he got in trouble for causing the guy's heart attack. He was, he was charged for helping kill the guy over a stupid piece of wood. Right? Crazy, crazy. It's better to talk it out <laughs> and listen and work it out much, much better. Often we need a referee. Often we need a referee. Uh, they had a Phineas here, right? A Phineas. He was trusted. He was a high priest. He had a reputation. He was respected. They're probably a little afraid of him. <laughs> Let's not say anything wrong. You might spear us. You remember the story last week, right, from Numbers? Uh, They're probably a little afraid of him, too. But we we often need an arbitrator. We need uh, a mediator, a a counselor, someone that is trusted by both sides. Very, very important. Very important. And in the church, we also have Matthew 18 that helps us work through these things. In Matthew 18, I want to read this to lead us into communion here because it's a really good passage. In Matthew 18, verses 15 to 17, it's on your insert also where it says, Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault, just between the two of you. If he listens to you, you have won your brother over. But if you will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Church discipline. So, First step, one-on-one. Go to the person. Don't talk about them. Don't blotch, You know, no gossiping, none of that. No slander. Go right to the person. Talk to them. Then, if that doesn't go well, bring two or three others. And, and he's using in the context here, if you know the rest of the scriptures in the New Testament, he's talking about bringing a couple elders along. Two or three elders to establish, to you know, talk it out. And the, usually a couple of elders can help, pastor or something, can help you work it out. One way or another. And if it doesn't go well, then the whole church, that's a last resort. What are you facing? Where are you facing a relationship struggle? Maybe it's personal relationships, a family, your marriage, your friends, a dating, a job, somewhere. I want to encourage us all to think in terms of, listening and talking it out and working it out and giving the options and get a referee involved uh there's a lot of great christian counselors and kim and i are always involved a lot of times but even a christian counselor but a vital thing is this you have to listen to them (laughs) i'm not going to name names but there's some people who uh nobody here but there's some people that they they you go to the counselor and the counselor says something they don't like and they don't like them i send them to another counselor they don't like what they said, they're out of there. Whatever they say, they don't like. Whatever they don't like, they just jet out of there. Uh, and then they just keep jumping, counselor to counselor, and they never can find one that will say just what they want them to say, because guess why? And then they just keep repeating the cycle. Very important to listen. Even if you don't can't see it, to listen. Very, very important. Uh, maybe Maybe... Your church struggle is, or your struggle relationship struggles with a church. maybe it's been fighting. maybe it's fright so you're, even if you don't leave, you just fright you avoid people in the church because of the conflict. Uh, maybe it's flight. A lot, a lot of people just take off and, and then they carry their bitterness to another church and it follows them. and even when people come to our church from a Difficult situation, and it happens. Sometimes you can't help it. They come. I say, make sure that you're you've forgiven who you need to forgive. You've gone back and said what you need to say because you don't want to carry any bitterness into where the body of Christ, where where God brings you next time. Very, very important. Is is it fight, fright, flight, or reconciliation? The country. The country needs our help. (laughs) Will we be part of the problem? Or part of the solution? Well, Christians, us, well, are we going to get all caught up in all this fighting? Are we part of the solution or part of the problem? Or, Or what will we do? We need respectful dialogue, discussion in this country. We have to stop attacking people or judging them because of their bumper sticker or the hat that they wear, right? You know, we have to stop doing that. We as Christians have to rise above it and touch both sides. Whether we agree with the other side or not, we have to try to figure out how to touch both sides with the love of Jesus Christ. That's what we're called to do, to to be above it. I just saw a great article on this yesterday. I just grabbed it here. It's a, a pastor from Alabama, Pastor Van Moody, who's black. And he writes this article. He says, a blog article right here. He says, don't attack me and other black faith leaders for working with Trump to help others. Now listen to this. This is really a perfect picture of what I'm trying to say. He says, I was one of a group of black faith leaders from the inner cities who attended a meeting with President Trump at the White House Wednesday to talk about the importance of the church in building community, especially in the area of prison reform and workforce development for former prisoners. Unfortunately, the political and cultural climate in our country has plummeted to such a petty and disturbing place that I fully expect "'that I might be attacked afterwards. "'Nevertheless, I, was, I accepted the invitation. "'I believe the ability to help others "'who are marginalized, disenfranchised, and voiceless "'is an important pursuit, "'and I remain committed to the cause of Christ "'beyond pettiness and politics. "'Sadly, my fears were realized "'when I and some of the other leaders "'were attacked after this meeting, "'both in our churches, our local communities, "'and, uh, and from others nationally.' Our statements and even the opening prayer came under intense scrutiny and our remarks were also taken out of context in order to generate clickbait headlines. Much has been made about my thanking President Trump for caring for all people. Some individuals have misconstrued that I, the statement to conclude that I was giving a blanket endorsement of everything the president has done. That was not the intent of my statement. I am on record as disagreeing with President Trump including on aspects of his immigration policy. However, I would happily hop on a plane to Washington again if I were invited to sit down and talk through other issues that will help the disenfranchised, marginalized, and voiceless. The president expressed to us that he's concerned about the incredible challenges our prisoners and former prisoners face under the current system. He said his administration is currently working on prison reform legislation to help. I thank President Trump for this and for caring for all people, meaning I'm encouraged and hopeful about his desire for prison reform, his wish to help the formerly incarcerated, and his determination to partner with faith-based communities on important issues affecting the community. But what is most disturbing about the reaction to Wednesday's meeting is that it shows the vitriol and contempt that is present even when President Trump's efforts are positive and will clearly help those who need it most. His first step act, prison reform legislation, has strong bipartisan support. My prayer, now here we go. My prayer is that we, and this is for all of us, whatever side we're on, my prayer is that we will no longer sacrifice the people who need help most on the altar of our egos and political ideology. We don't have to agree on all things, In fact, we might only agree on a few things, but I still believe we can work together for the betterment of this country, its citizens, and its communities. As a Christian, my ultimate example is Jesus. And in the spirit of the popular bracelets from years ago, I think we have to ask the question, what would Jesus do? The answer is simple. He would work to make a difference in the lives of people regardless of who is in the White House. I pray that we do likewise. That's what I'm talking about. That's the spirit, the Christian spirit that we have to have no matter who's in the White House. No matter what we agree with or disagree with someone across the aisle. That's, the, that, that's what I'm talking about. And, and our love for Jesus Christ and sharing that love of Jesus Christ should outweigh everything else. Doesn't matter if you're a Red Sox Yankee fan, a Republican Democrat, you know, you know whatever that divides us. Phillies, oh, no, no, the shirt that's burning my eyes. But yeah, no, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. But see I'm saying? You know, it doesn't matter. It it, it shouldn't matter. It doesn't matter what we think about guns or immigration or all that. That shouldn't matter. It's the love of Jesus Christ and sharing that love should outweigh everything else. Nina, come on up here. I have asked Nina to come up here for the ending here before we take communion. Uh, Now, Nina, a lot of you know Nina. Uh, Most of you know Nina. And Nina and I are very different. We have probably never voted for the same person ever. All right? (laughs) And she, at times, is completely irrational. <laughs> we have had it out. In fact, we had one meeting at the house, and, and the kids, she, she left, and the kids said, who are you fighting with in there? We were trying to go to sleep. and could hear it upstairs. Yeah. And Kim's like, I almost came in. I almost came in. I go, we weren't fighting. We were discussing. We had a great discussion. It was one of our best talks ever. We were just discussing. She, But Lena has wanted to... Uh, She has wanted, let me move this out of the way, she has wanted to leave the church at times, and at times I've wanted to throw her out, all right? (laughs) But because of Nina, I'm going to let you talk in a minute, 29 seconds, all right, so I'm kidding. Uh, uh, Because of Nina, I've been stretched. I see a lot of things differently. She's still wrong. She's still wrong. But I can see why she thinks the way she does. (laughs) She knows I'm kidding. All right? Kind of. All right. uh, But no matter what, no matter what, she says, I'm never leaving. You're stuck with me. Mm -hmm. And I said, Nina, you better never leave because I know where you live and I will find you and bring you back. You cannot leave. We don't agree on much, but we agree on biblical issues. Mm -hmm. And we agree on Jesus Christ, our faith in Christ. And, and I just think that's a picture of what I'm trying to get across here. The most important thing is our faith in Christ and the biblical issues.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you want to say anything? I, I just wanted to say really quick because it's really Chuck. Like a lot of people wouldn't listen to me the way that he has. And I've been amazed. And, uh, but there are two, uh, just real quick, two examples of what he was preaching about today. The first time that I made an assumption and misunderstood what Chuck was saying or did, I left the church, the flight thing. And, um, and I only hurt me by doing that. And when I talked to Chuck, who was completely patient, looking, disappointed in me, which was good, um, I was back to the church. So a few weeks ago, I got a text from Chuck about a sermon he was going to give, and I thought, oh boy, oh boy. So I thought to myself, you've got to email him, and I thought, no, just trust him, trust him, trust him. So then I thought, I'm not going to go. Then I thought, trust him, trust him, trust him. So when I came into the church, and he said a few weeks ago, everybody don't leave, hear me out. And I, so I was gripping the hands of my chair. And so he started to preach, and I was thinking, he told me to stay, he told me to stay, he told me to stay. And then the sermon took a shift into the Bible, and he started to quote the Bible, and it was such such a beautiful sermon. And um, so that time I didn't run, and I waited and I trusted. And when I walked into the lobby afterwards, <laughs> we saw each other and we burst out laughing, both of us. And that's when I felt the love of Christ pass between us because He knew. Oh, he I knew. knew that I didn't know He knew, but He knew. Maybe I wouldn't show up, maybe I would email, but there I was. So we burst out laughing, and that's the love of Christ, and that's the Bible, and and I'm really glad I'm here.
1: (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. That's what I'm talking about. Who is God calling us to reach out and love with the love of Jesus Christ? He uses all of us. He uses me. He uses Nina. He uses all of us to reach out and touch people with the love of Jesus Christ. Communion is a time to make things right. Time to make things right with other people in the body of Christ. And maybe you can go to someone even during our prayer time here. You go make something right or, or commit. Maybe they're not here, but you say, I'm going to commit. I'm going to make something right. I'm going to make something right. It's also a time to make things right with God. Maybe there's a sin in our life that we need to confess. Maybe there's uh, maybe we've never made things right with God. We've never put our faith in Jesus Christ and come to him and ask him to forgive us. And, and we, we know he died on the cross. That's what communion is all about. It's, a, it's, it's about Jesus dying on the cross. The, body, the, the bread is the, a picture of his body. The, the juice is a picture of his blood. It's a reminder that he died on the cross for us. Maybe we know that, but we've never come to that cross and said, God, please forgive me. I put my faith in Jesus Christ. We need to make things right with God before we commune. What it is, the bread, body, the cup, the blood of Jesus. It's a reminder of what he did. How we take it, we just open it up. We open it up. And, uh, and whenever you feel comfortable, you can come up and take, take it back to your seat. You can take it with, by yourself, with someone else. However, you feel comfortable, if you're not comfortable taking it, you're not ready, there's something you need to make right with God, you're not a Christian yet, or you need to make right with someone and you're not ready, wait, it's okay. It's okay. Wait, the Bible says don't take it in an unworthy way. It's okay, but I hope that everybody does because you can. You can make it right with others and with God and we can commune because not, we don't want anything to come between our communion, our connecting, our, our fellowship, our closeness with the love of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. How is God speaking to us? Maybe you've never put your faith in Jesus, and today is the day where you say, God, I turn away from my sin. I repent of my sin. I admit my sin. I repent of it. I ask you to forgive me. Forgive me. Because I'm putting my faith in your son, Jesus. I trust in him that he died for me, that he rose again for me. I put my faith in him. I give my life to him. The second you pray that prayer of faith from your heart to God, you become a new person in Jesus Christ. You have a brand new life in Jesus. Everything will change. He will fill your heart with a love that you never thought possible. You will experience God's love in a powerful way. I want to encourage you if you've prayed that prayer of faith to one, first of all, let somebody know so that they can encourage you. If someone here if you ever here with a friend or family member or fill out the card, stick it in the box or tell me or call, text, let somebody know so we can encourage you. And the second thing is to take communion because you now can come into God's presence. You can connect with him directly through his son, Jesus Christ. For the rest of us, how is God speaking to us, something that we need to confess so that we can really experience communion? Maybe it's somebody we have to make something right. We commit to doing that. Even if we have to take the wrong. Maybe it's somebody God is laying on our heart to love, to reach out and to love them with the love of Jesus Christ. Maybe the last person we want to love Father, we pray that you would bless this communion time through your Holy Spirit. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.